Welcome to podcast number three for Capital EA. And I am really, really pleased to introduce Bev Sims here with us today, who's Executive Assistant to Dr. Martin Parkinson from the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet. Welcome, Bev. Thanks very much, Ursula. Nice to be here. Thank you for joining us. Um, Look, I um, generally take EAs through a number of questions in regards to their role and what they've been up to and how you might be helpful or provide tips and tricks for EAs that might be listening to our podcast, which is always good. And uh, I thought we could start by getting a little bit of an intro on you and a little bit about yourself and your current role. Okay, thank you. So I've been working to Martin Parkinson, the Head of Prime Minister and Cabinet, for the past two plus years. I've been in a number of roles with Martin, so I've been his Executive Assistant at Prime Minister and Cabinet. I also was his Executive Assistant at Department of Treasury and I job shared in that role with uh, Sharon McCluskey. And I also supported him as an Executive Officer when he was Head of Climate Change and have done some project management work with him. So I think the key to that is that I've had an established relationship with Martin, which is always important in these roles. And I've also been in and out of the EA my EA career. I have done executive officer role. I've supported a number of task forces. I've also worked in HR, doing recruitment, doing secondments, doing a lot of project management work, um, which I've found really enjoyable. Mm. But what I do find is I always attracted back to the EA role because that's my passion and that's what I'm particularly good at. And I think it draws together the range of skills that I have. So I've I've found it the most rewarding. Although I've enjoyed a number of roles, I've always found my EA role to be the most most enjoyable and the most rewarding. Yeah, that's awesome. And did you do any formal training to be an EA originally? Uh, No, I did some traditional training um, which was back in the day and I actually learned how to do shorthand which I still use occasionally um, when I'm writing shopping lists or when I want to do my Christmas list and I don't want my sons to see what I'm buying them Um, but also for taking telephone messages it can be quite handy but it is a very dying art and I'm almost embarrassed to say that I do it because it shows my age but yeah so so I did you know formal yeah. training um, yeah. as an EA, but a lot of it was on the job. And I think I learned a lot. And in fact, when I f- did my first EA gig, I worked for, for this gentleman for probably about 12 months. And when he was leaving in his farewell speech, he said, when Bev joined me as a young EA, she was actually really terrible. <laughs> and, and I was, but we worked together and he really supported me. And I learned a lot in that 12 months. And I think that, you know, we all need to recognise that when we first start, we don't know what we're doing and mm. it's difficult to define the EA role. So we need to accept that, but also take that as a challenge as to how can I define the role and, and how can I contribute to my executive? Yes, yeah, so, so true. And and you're right, you know, it's funny when you think back to those first days of the errors you make and you think, wow, yeah, <laughs> I've moved a long way from yeah, there. No, absolutely. And so have you found, in particular with this role, any, you know, things that you've learned? along the way lots of obviously we keep learning in these roles every day yep but has there been anything significant that you've could take away from this role that you've thought wow I've really you know ended up with a really good skill set under my belt yeah or? so I think I'm obviously working for the head of prime minister and cabinet and Martin wears a number of hats I think it has taught me to even more so juggle those mm. roles that that he has in supporting either whether it's the prime minister whether it's the APS or whether it's supporting the department so it's getting the balance right in not only for him and his priorities, but also my priorities. So that's been a real challenge. Mm-hmm. But also because I'm getting toward the latter part of my career, it's also 
recognising what it's important to me and that's sharing my experiences with other EAs and making sure when I finish my career that I don't just leave as a good EA but I leave as someone that's actually shared my experiences and hopefully inspired others to, to pursue a career as an EA. Fantastic. How, how many EAs have you got in the department there? Uh, so we've, we were a larger department and we've, we have over 2,000 staff and we've just split off because we've created a new agency to support um, the National Indigenous Australians. So we've halved in size. So at the moment, I think we're probably in the EA sphere, we've got around mm, around 50 in total. Yeah, um, okay. So, uh, oh, yeah, our EAs, yeah, so our EAs support multiple SES, so yeah, senior EAs are a one-on-one relationship, but a lot of the our EAs are working to multiple SES. Mm, okay, that's good to know. And that that is, I'm seeing that across the board now. Yeah, EAs working for two or three directors. Yeah, I think I think that's the reality. Um, yeah, we've all had to do more with less, yeah. and so I think that's the reality of the yeah, EA. It's true. It's true. Have you got any insights for our listeners in and those that are particularly wanting to be an EA or starting up in that career? Have you got any insights that you wanted to share with with those people? Yep. So I think what you really need to be a good EA is passion, a passion for helping people, passion for making a difference. And the great thing about being an EA is that there's not a defined set of responsibilities. So you can go in and work with your SES on or, or your senior executive on making the role what it can be. So it's understanding how your executive prefers to work and looking for opportunities where you can can add value. And I think the real key is understanding the business of your organisation, the work that your executive does, Mm. because that makes it a lot easier for you to identify opportunities and also to make judgment calls on their behalf. So you can respond to emails, you can facilitate by getting the right people at at the meetings at the right time, making sure that you share information appropriately. So if if you understand the business, then when a sensitive piece of information comes in, you know who's able to see it, who needs to see it. Mm. Um, and so making those those calls is really important to adding value to your SES. And I think working hard at the partnership is mm. a, re- a really key issue. So we recently ran in our department an SES-EA partnership seminar oh, internally um, and we were fortunate enough to have some of our senior senior executives come along and talk about the importance of a partnership and it, it really is you know the key to to a successful relationship is viewing it as a partnership and valuing each other's contributions I love it yeah. that is so fantastic it was good and I love the fact that they've actually taken the initiative to to talk about that you know because in some cases, that that partnership takes time, and I don't know for you, Bev, but in EA manager relationships I've had, it's one in particular took me about eighteen months mm. to form that trust and that relationship. Do you have a time frame, or do you know when it? Do you feel it when it happens? Yeah. So I've um, had some successful and some not so successful relationships with my executive, and I think it does take to me. It takes at least twelve months to really form a relationship where there's mutual trust. Mm. So I've had instances where I've gone into a relationship and my manager hasn't wanted to share information, hasn't wanted to necessarily share their inbox or the you know, information on the work that they're doing. And so I think by gradually building their trust, that's where it becomes a successful partnership. If they're unable to do that, I think 
you know, after 12, 12 months, I, you can make a, a sound decision on whether this is the role for you. Mm-hmm. And so we all, we're all have decisions to make and sometimes you have to recognise that this mm-hmm. isn't the right fit for you and, and mm-hmm. you know, by all means you should be talking to your executive mm-hmm. about that, you know, making your feelings known, wanting them to know that you want to do more, that you want to support them, mm-hmm. that you don't want to just answer phones and do diary. Mm-hmm. You're looking to, to do more for them and mm-hmm. looking for opportunities, whether it's to contribute to the work of the branch or the division mm-hmm. or the business itself. It's really good to have those conversations about the opportunities that might be mm-hmm. there. And, and sometimes for the executives they may not have had experience in having an executive assistant and they don't know how to use their services or or what we can actually do. So Mm -hmm. in some ways, executives could really welcome the opportunity to talk with you about and for you to be proactive in this space and offer um, suggestions on the types of things that you can do to support them. Yeah, that's so true. And I love the fact that you've, you've taken that sort of 12 month scope because I think that's right about right sometimes we you know can be a bit premature in our decision making and think around the three six months oh how's this going to go but you know all the roles that I have found that I've stuck it out a little bit longer have come you know better so you know sometimes it is about taking that at least that length Mm. just to really nut it out yeah and you're right some people do take a little bit longer to find that trust so it's really really great Have you got any tips or tricks that you've found over the time of your career that you just use every day or you find it's your it's your go-to in in being either super efficient yep. or cutting corners in a in a in a still a, a very professional way yeah have you got anything like that you'd like to share yeah I mean I should say at the outset that IT and me aren't good friends so I don't have any great <laughs> IT tips to to offer in fact I'm our IT help desk favorite client I'm I'm always calling but a few things that I think are really important is the ability to share information or to have information available when you're not around so what we don't want to be doing is being being in a situation where you're away from the office and you feel that you have to contact the office or because people don't know how to pick up where you've left off Mm -hmm. so I find the diary entry a really useful source of information so what I use with the with the diary is I colour code, you know, for various types of meetings. So, you know, if it's an interstate meeting or if it's a speaking engagement. So that's helpful for my executive because they can look at the diary and identify straight away what that particular entry is. But when you go into the entry, I have information that relates to that entry. I have relevant emails to do with it. So basically if I was away or fell ill or someone was just picking that up, they could go into the diary and see at any point in time where that diary entry is at. So do we need to, you know, are we waiting on information to come back about, you know, the the time the secretary is required to speak or, you know, or are we waiting on advice on car parking or, you know, Mm. is attendance still to be confirmed? Does the ceremonial entrance need to be arranged? There's a whole raft Mm. of things. So wherever I'm up to in that diary entry, you know, I, I put the relevant emails in. Obviously, we have to be careful about sensitive information and security classifications. So I classify the diary entry in line with the material that I have in there. So if there's sensitive information in there, I upgrade the security classification for the appointment. It's also helpful because we work in an office where we have a chief of staff and an executive advisor. What we do when briefing comes in for that meeting, we actually put the briefing in there. So, And that will be via a link to our share hub. So that way we can at any point in time go in and even for history's sake, we can go in and look at the briefing that we prepared Mm. for that particular meeting. So someone could be coming to visit 
the secretary, you know, 12 months after the initial visit, we can go back to the initial diary entry, click on the ShareHub link, go to the briefing, and we can see what briefing was provided for that particular meeting. So Mm. don't undervalue the diary entry would be my Mm. tip. I think Mm. it is a really valuable source of information. Clearly, you need to treat very carefully what you put in there and be very Mm. careful with the wording that you put in because it will be an historical record Mm. if it's used effectively. And so that would be my tip to anyone um, is to really think about Mm. how you want to use the diary and particularly when you're working in a team. But Mm. importantly for EAs who really a single source of information for a lot of things, it's a great way to share information and to have that coverage if you're out of the office unexpectedly. Mm, No, I like it. And I presume then, you know, with access to the diary, the EO and advisor and yourself and and Dr Parks are the only ones with that access, is that right? Yes, that's right. Okay. So so obviously you need to limit access to the diary, Um, but as a team it's really important that you Mm -hmm. have. I have to say I I don't give the Chief of Staff diary access. She she can go in and look, but she can't enter. Um, But but, but others can. So um, clearly you have to make a judgment call on who who you want to be able to edit the diary entry, but it's really important as to who can see it and, and click on the links and click on the emails that are in there that relate to the meeting. This would be a question that I know a lot of listeners would find interesting from your perspective, Bev, and that is that EO, EA, and obviously there's an advisor in there as well, that relationship. Mm. It often comes up in our workshops, you know, in terms of how that works and how it best works. What's your arrangement at the moment? How do you keep that communication flowing? Yeah, and I think communication is the key. I think it is every member of the team valuing the roles that you have and also understanding what your roles are. So clearly there's crossover in in roles and there needs to be because people need to step up if someone's away or if Mm. it's a particularly busy time. But I think for the members of the team, you need to have a clear understanding on who takes primary responsibility for each of the tasks and keeping those lines of communication open. So as a team, we meet weekly. And we, importantly, we sit close together. So I think that sharing of information that happens from telephone calls or people dropping by is really invaluable. And I don't, you know, and I think it is difficult when people are working in an activity-based environment where they might be somewhere and their executive officer might be somewhere else. That makes it really difficult because those informal exchanges are where you pick up a lot of information or you can overhear something and say, oh, I actually know about that. Um, So if I could encourage people to think about sitting close by if possible. Mm. It's not always possible, but I think Mm. that proximity is really important. The regular meetings are important. So what we do is those meetings are structured. So we provide feedback on the senior executive meetings that have taken place. So we actually understand what's happening in the department, what's happening in our office, Mm. where the priorities are. And then we go through the diary and talk about everything that needs to happen and have we got all the briefings ready for that and and then we just have a general sharing of what our corporate priorities are and Mm. and what we're each working on and and so it really is very much a sharing activity and then we collectively meet with the secretary once a week as well and we each raise our issues separately with him but we're all there to hear what each of us are doing and what our priorities are and we're and identifying where that overlap is so um, if I could stress anything it would be communication and Mm. it can can be challenging because you may have someone with a very different personality to you mm. and I've found that the biggest challenge is that you don't necessarily need to like the people that you work with but you need to respect them so yeah. and I think if collectively you're there to support the secretary or your executive you all have the same common goal mm. and that's the key so if everyone's mm. there pulling their weight 
You might mm. all be different and you might have different ways of doing things, mm. but just appreciating and respecting the fact that you all want to do a good job and mm. that you're all there to support your executive mm. is a key to a successful relationship. And those meetings with the secretary were weekly, were they? As they well? are. Yeah. yeah. And was that sort of you'd have your own weekly then and then the secretaries or was it? Yeah, so we yeah, tend to have our meeting first yeah. um, and then we meet with the secretary so we're clear on where mm. we're up to. We don't script the meeting yeah. with the secretary and certainly he has his own priorities yeah. um, but I think because we each value one another and he values each of us and understands each of our roles and I think that's key the, the secretary gets PAs mm. he gets the value that we add mm. so that makes those conversations really easy and when we are going through the appointments it's really important for the other members of the staff to understand why the meeting's taking place, who's going to be there, mm. what briefing's required, what does that mean for the rest of the organisation, do we have the right people there. So I think it's, mm. you know, all the elements of the discussion with the secretary are important and as an office it's important that we each know what's happening, not taking responsibility necessarily but actually mm. knowing mm. what each of us are doing. Okay, that's great. That's really nice. And then with yourself and Dr Parkinson, do you find that you have daily catch-ups is there anything sort of one-on-one with or is it just fluid throughout the day? Yeah, so I find I'm in, I talk to the secretary the most. Yeah, <laughs> I think executives and their executive assistants have a special relationship. Yeah. So I don't go in, you know, all the time, but I go in quite regularly and I recognise that if there's something just quick and easy then I need to get, you mm, know, an to ask him about, to advise him on. I just pick those moments to go in. So if he's particularly busy, I I sense that, I know that. He has an open door policy, but if I sense it's a really busy time, I will physically close the door as I go out. Mm. That's just a sign to everyone, you know, Mm. that he he really does need that time. Mm. For some SES that don't have doors anymore, they're in open plan, it's a little more difficult, but there are other ways of giving signals that your SES is, you know, having focused time and Mm. and shouldn't be interrupted. Mm. But, yeah, I... I do sort of have that quick interaction with him, yeah. but it's important when I'm having those quick interactions if it impacts on other staff members that I let them know that this is this has Happening. been progressed and and he's needed to have this urgent telephone call or he's needed to mm. you know clear this urgent brief or whatever just so the team knows. Mm, fabulous. And we're just at that time of year as well where EAs are, are going through there. Now, they're all called different things in every organisation, but they're performance appraisals yep. or they're midterm or the end of year. Is that something that you do with Dr. Parkinson or do you do that with your executive officer or team? So um, Dr. Parkinson is my direct manager, so I have my performance discussions with him and they're always valuable and he seeks feedback from the team. So I have an informal role with our other senior executive assistants on the floor who support our deputies in that I talk with the deputies about their EAs when it comes to their performance appraisals give a bit of feedback oh, um, we agree on you know where their EAs are headed and mm. what they're doing well and where there's areas for development so I have that relationship and obviously um, with Martin we have a, a good conversation about the performance mm. my performance management and uh, you know we have a performance agreement and yeah, we review that and the good thing about Martin is that he gives feedback quite readily um, yeah, and, and it's good and I give him feedback as well. So, so that's nice. There's no surprises. No surprises yeah. and that's the key is mm. if anything is concerning you, mm. um, it's really important to have early conversations before it comes an issue. So mm. there's really good ways to raise it. If you're in doubt, if you're not feeling confident, speak to another EA, speak to another staff member about, look, I've got this issue and I'd really like to raise it with my executive mm. but I'm just not sure how 
you know, how I should do that, what's the most constructive way to do it. So, you know, these conversations can be daunting and they can be difficult, particularly mm. when you're a new EA, but always seek out advice from other people and don't feel that you need to do it by yourself because there is lots of support around. And in fact, more senior EAs are very happy um, mm. to support because they've you know, they've been in that position themselves before. So, exactly. you know, and you often talk to them and they will have had a mentor or they will have had a special relationship with someone else, whether it's another EA or whether it's a policy officer or someone that they've always sort of been their go-to and feel mm. comfortable raising any sort of issue. So mm. I think if you can look for those opportunities to to form those relationships, mm. that will be really helpful to you. Mm. Good tip. That's really good. Do you have a mentor? Or- uh, no, I don't, but I have in the past and... I think with a mentor, it's really important. And so I, I'm a, I have a mentee at the moment. Yes, <laughs> and I think it's really important to let the mentee be the driver of this because they know when they need to come and talk with you. So basically when I have a, a mentee, I say to them, look, I'm happy to talk with you whenever it suits, but you're the driver because I don't know, you know, where you're at you know, at any point in time. So when you're ready to have a talk, mm. let me know. And, and I think it's important for mentors and mentees to establish those boundaries at the beginning. So how what's your relationship going to be like? Will you have regular catch-ups no matter what? And that's that's good. That works for, for some people. Let's have a coffee once a month. Or, okay, well, mm. let's just meet when we think we need to you know so I think that important that first conversation so if you identify someone you approach them about the potential to be their mentor have that conversation up front about well this is what I'm looking for and how often do you think we should get together and in what form should we do it is it over a coffee is it some other way because what you want to do is make the environment as comfortable as it can be and so you really have to agree on yeah. who's going to initiate it you know how often they're going to be what are you going to talk about all those sorts of things and, and, and really what what are you looking for out of the relationship because the mentor gets as much out of it as the mentee it's Mm. it's really great to see young enthusiastic people that are looking Mm. to be inspired Mm. so I think it's a really a two-way street where there's benefits on both sides Mm. no I agree that's really good good advice too Mm. Bev thank you now we'll we'll cap off on something that you think it was a funny story or something that you've had over the time where you thought, wow, didn't expect that one to happen. Yeah. Or an area where you think you've gone above and beyond in your role. Yeah. I think the funny, well, it wasn't funny at the time. I think it's important to acknowledge that we all make make mistakes. And when we do make mistakes, the important thing is to own the mistake, but importantly, learn from it. So I had an experience where I was on a task force and we were presenting to the prime, the prime minister was presenting to the rest of the cabinet on our emissions trading scheme. So we'd done, we'd done an emissions trading task force and this was the, the report. And so it was being mm. presented by the head of our secretariat to the prime minister and the rest of cabinet. Pretty big. <laughs> so we were there and there was a presentation. And of course, IT not being my friend, <laughs> I had, I had thought I had a very clear arrangement with our IT people to be there at the cabinet room ready to set up this presentation and fortunately for me on the morning I just thought just in case the IT doesn't work I'll take some hard copies so I had those with me and the IT guys didn't turn up when I thought they were going to so needless to say the head of the secretariat wasn't particularly happy I ended up finding myself caught in the cabinet room because I had to (laughs) to try and I was madly trying to get the IT set up as the, time the, the Prime Minister walks in. We still don't have the, the, the presentation set up. Mm-hmm. I have hard copies on the desk and here I am. Moment, yeah, and I'm sitting there with the IT guys desperately trying to get this IT to work. We did get it to work in the end, but, of course, I couldn't escape the room once the discussion had started. So 
it was pretty bad, um, yeah. but, you know, I got through it and I learned a lot from that experience in the fact that, yeah. you know, double check, you know, I, I could have done better. I could have on the day phoned them again, just double checked. So I had made I'd the arrangements. been very busy. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd made the arrangements a couple of days before. Mm. And when you're coordinating with a whole range of people, you know, on the morning, I think you need to take the time mm. and just double check and make sure that everyone is on the same page you know, you've got clear agreement on what time you're meeting, where you're meeting, you know, mm. all those sorts of things. So I, I do now. I'm a bit paranoid. <laughs> and I'm sure you people get, get, you know, get sick of me calling up and saying, we're right for this, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I, I think, and at the end of the day, as I said, I can look back now and yeah. think it's, think it's you know, a, a good story, but I can assure you at the time it wasn't great. I mm. felt really bad. I felt like I'd let down um, mm. the head of the secretariat. But you know, after an initial, obviously not being very happy, they were grateful that we had a backup. They were mm. grateful that the presentation went ahead. And did you end up handing out the hard copies? Yes, handing out the hard copies. <laughs> so you know, I was just so thankful for that backup. And I think that's the important thing is to have backups. So yeah. always have a plan B, particularly mm. for big occasions, big events. Mm. You know, always have that contingency mm. planning in place because you never know when things are going to go wrong, particularly mm. when if it's technology and particularly yeah. if it's me. Yeah. <laughs> I know, technology yeah. is not the greatest for all of us, yeah, many no. of us that aren't good with yeah, that. No, I, so. I do admire young people that go on and it's 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 second nature that to mm. them because that's that they've grown up with it. But for, for yeah, people at the back true. end of their career like me, it's always yeah. seems to be challenging. And, no, um, but, yeah, it very, very, you know, it, it's, it's a great resource and we've come to rely on it a lot. So mm. Good. Any areas that you've thought maybe perhaps in your role you've gone above and beyond, something – you know, something outside your job description, mm. something, do you always tend to work, you know, getting the job done doesn't necessarily mean line between those lines in yeah. the job description. Yep. Do you find that you do stretch yourself either side or? I, I think I do. I think mm. I do that on Naturally. a day-to-day basis because I want to. It's not because I feel I have to. It's because I get great enjoyment out of supporting people I, I i mean i do this with my children you know they're 27 and 25 now and i feel like i'm still over <laughs> yeah going above and beyond. going above and beyond and my husband will attest to that but I, it's because i get such satisfaction and i see mm. i see my executive performing well or doing their job well and that brings you know and, and so i have that feeling of well i've contributed to that and that makes me feel good mm. i've been in very privileged roles i've seen wonderful leaders and you know i've got a lot to be thankful for and so i think my way of paying back is just to to do what i do mm. but do it to the highest of standards that i can and, mm. and that's when i feel the most satisfaction is when i feel well at the end of the day i've done everything that i can mm. and you know we're, sometimes it's acknowledged and sometimes it's not and that's mm. part of the role and we need to accept that that you know sometimes we notice when things go wrong rather than when yeah. they go right but yeah. for me personally at the end of the day when i can go home and think Wow, that, that was a great day because, you know, if I, I achieved these things and, and mm, for me, mm. maybe it is above and beyond, but that's just what, what, what I do and, 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 and what I like doing. to do. And, yeah, yeah. And I think to be successful, there, there needs to be a point where you need to decide, well, how far do I want to go mm. in this and how far do I want to push boundaries? And, mm. and so we all make decisions on mm. that. But, yeah, I'd encourage people that, you know, if that's what they're looking for, mm. then it can be really, really rewarding. Mm. If this has been fascinating... That's been really nice, you know, getting to know you a little bit better and understanding your EA career over the 
the years. Do you have uh, a dinner cooked for you tonight, or do you have <laughs> do you have animals and pets to go home to? What, uh, what's, what's left at home now? The kids are grown up. There's still some. At oh home? yeah, they're both at home, so they're grown yeah, up, but they're still, still at home. There. I have a very supportive partner who cooks every night. Um, so so that's wonderful, and you know, and is it Hello Fresh? Or is it no, 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 yeah, no. cooks from scratch. Oh, cooks from scratch. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're pretty basic cooks, but yeah, you know, yeah. you know, nice. it's nice to go home and have that already yes. done in every partnership, whether it's your home partnership mm. or your work partnership. You know, you need to appreciate the partner that you're with, and, and absolutely, so, yeah. I think for for me, for my work life balance, I couldn't do it without my home partner. So yeah, but it's it's nice to go home and and have a very supportive home life as well. Well, I won't keep you any longer. Okay. Thank you so much, Bev. This has been fantastic and we wish you all the very best. Terrific. Thanks so much, Ursula. 